Good morning, everybody. So, I want to ask you a question. Why do we worship? When you think of worship, you might be thinking or you might visualize ancient pagans bowing down to some sort of idol. Or maybe you think of chanting through certain church rituals, repeating the same words day after day, week after week. Let's read Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul had spent the first 11 chapters of Romans telling us how God had rescued us from the guilt, penalty, and power of sin. He told us that it is only Christ's sacrifice on the cross that we can be forgiven. He's also told us that you don't deserve God's love, but in spite of us, he has been incredibly merciful to us. And so in view of his mercy, this amazing grace that he's given to us, we worship our great God. Our worship is a response to the mercy God has shown to us. You see, God saved us from something, from slavery to sin, from the consequences of our disobedience, from judgment, and ultimately hell. But he also saved us to something. That something is worship. He saved us to worship him. If you look up the word worship in the dictionary, it says, one, to honor or show reverence for as a divine being, and two, to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. Worship is an integral part of the Christian life. It allows us to solidify our relationship with God and reminds us to focus our hearts and minds on his word. In the same way a human body requires food and water to be healthy, our spiritual health depends on worship. Without it, our hearts grow cold and our faith withers into nothing. Let's look back at Romans 12, 2 again. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In order to worship, we need to be transformed. We need to leave behind the self-worship that is the pattern of this world and be God-worshippers, surrendering our whole selves, loving God with our soul, mind and strength whatever you're worshiping besides god be it your job your phone social media whatever you need to let go of it and just worship god we were made for worship that's our purpose our brains are hardwired to be singularly devoted to something the problem is we don't always worship God. 
we follow the pattern of this world and devote our bodies to other things. There are many ways that we can worship. The three most common kinds of worship are, one, by singing. Many people equate music with worship. We can worship through music, but it's only one form of worship. We can worship by listening. We can worship by listening to a sermon. Or when we read the word of God, let it speak to us. That's worship as well. There's worship by doing. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Every aspect of our lives has the potential to honor God. Worship involves the heart, the mind, and the body. We should live our lives in such a way that it worships God. Today I want to focus on the worship by singing. Have you ever wondered why God desires for his people to sing? What role should singing play in the life of a Christian? What is it about worshiping through song that is so important to God? You may not realize it, but God has answered all of these questions in the Bible. I'm going to give you seven reasons why singing is essential for the Christian life. Number one, when we sing, we obey. Singing isn't an option in Scripture. It's a command. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And Ephesians 5.18-19 through 19 tells us, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. God's people are more than just invited to sing. We're commanded to sing. When we sing, we're doing what God asks of us. Number two, when we sing, we dig deep roots into the Word of God. Let's go back and reread part of Colossians 3.16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The Apostle Paul lays out this exhortation to let God's word dwell richly within us. And he tells us how to live out that command. The first, of course, is teaching and preaching. But the second is singing. Singing is one of the two chief ways in which God's word dwells in us richly. And as we observed in the last point, singing is a command. But this command comes with a promise. As we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together, we are promised that the word of Christ will dwell in us richly, which is what we should crave as believers. Our singing is more than just a warm-up for the sermon or a filler in the service. Colossians 3.16 is clearly laying out for us that singing stands alongside of preaching as one of the two great ways that God has ordained for his word to dwell richly in each one of us. C.J. Mahaney calls church singing, Take Home 
theology because the songs we sing together serve as a three or four minute, easily memorizable, deeply biblical summary of important truths from scripture. Take, for example, the song In Christ Alone, which we sang today. There, in an easily memorizable form, we've got a thorough theology of the cross of Jesus Christ with clear and practical applications that we can use in our lives. Number three, when we sing, we build up others. We can build up fellow believers when we sing. Note specifically that in Ephesians 5.19 it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We see the same thing in Colossians 3, verses 13 through 16. The exhortation to sing comes on the heels of bearing with one another, forgiving one another, putting on love, being at peace as one united body of Christ, and teaching God's word to one another. When we do what the Bible says and sing together as a church family, we are hearing the confessions of faith all around us. We are hearing many believers join with us and sing, In Christ alone my hope is found. Also know that as we sing, we're helping unbelievers. In Psalm 105, 1-2, the Lord is calling the Israelites to be a light unto the nations. And to do this, he tells them, Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell all of his wondrous works. Number four, when we sing, we make war on Satan and sin. Chances are you've never connected singing and warfare together. But it's a theme that's visible in Scripture. In Colossians 3, Paul is challenging the Colossians to literally put sin to death in their lives, to kill sin. So all the commands to love, peace and forgiveness, and teaching and singing are attitudes and habits of the believer that can kill sin. We see the same thing in Ephesians 5.17. The command to address one another in song comes right on the heels of Ephesians 5.16, which says, Make the best use of the time, because the days are evil. And the more you think about it, it makes total sense. What posture must be more hated by the evil one than the posture of a believer who is singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? I can't think of any stance that we can take that identifies us with Christ and against Satan more than eyes, heart, and voice lifted to heaven in song. It's very hard to lie, to be greedy, or to look at something inappropriate when you're singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And it says in Ephesians 5.19, simply put, a heart that's doing that will not easily give in to temptation. A singing heart is a heart at war with the work of the evil one and the power of sin. Number five, when we sing, we are spiritually strengthened for trial. Oftentimes we only think of singing when we're happy or times are good. But singing that brings forth brings strength for trial can be seen in Acts 16, 
Paul and Silas are unjustly imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. And what do they do while they're in prison? They sing. And this truth is confirmed in the lives of persecuted believers throughout history. Listen to the words of one pastor who had been imprisoned for his faith. When we were in prison, we sang almost every day because Christ was alive in us. They put chains on our hands and feet. They chained us to add to our grief. But we discovered that chains are splendid musical instruments. When we clanged them together in rhythm, we could sing, This is the day, clink, clank. This is the day, clink, clank, that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made, clink, clank. Our persecuted brothers are showing us the truth that we see in Acts 16 with Paul and Silas. Singing strengthens us and helps us persevere in the face of trial. If it can strengthen them in the face of these trials, what can it do for us? Number six, when we sing, we walk a God-designed pathway to joy. Here's just an example of what the Psalms say about singing. Psalms 511, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. Psalms 51.14, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Psalms 59.16, I will sing of your strength, I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Psalm 63, 7. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. And if you still don't believe me, here's a clincher from James 5, 13. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. As you study scripture on this point, you'll notice that sometimes singing gives birth to joy. And sometimes joy gives birth to singing. But persistently in scripture, joy and singing are bound together. You can't study one of these two biblical themes without encountering the other. If you struggle for joy, sing. If you're joyful, sing. In God's perfect design and understanding of the human condition, he has bound joy and singing together for his people. This can be true in grief as well. If you find yourself in a dark place, sing. The first six reasons are summed up at the last one. Number seven, when we sing, we glorify God. True obedience, deep roots in, in the word, building up others, making war against Satan and sin, persevering, finding joy in God, all these bring glory to God, which is each Christian's chief goal and purpose. Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 bring this out simply but powerfully, telling us to sing to God and to the Lord, because he is the object of our praise. Ephesians 5.19 says, Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It is to him and about him that we sing. Singing has such a unique way of bringing our heart, soul, and mind and strength together 
to focus entirely and completely on God. In an age of distraction, singing grabs the attention of all of our senses and focuses us on God. But scripture also tells us that the devil will do anything to get between us and God. 1 Peter 5.8 even warns us to be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Our enemy will wait, scheme, and hunt for any sign of weakness in our lives. So it shouldn't come as a shock that he'll try to sabotage our worship as well. Satan wants to keep us from worshiping the one he hates. He wants to keep us from doing the right thing, whether that is spending time alone with the Lord in scripture and prayer, attending and participating in worship services, or any other thing that will draw you closer to the Lord. Now I want to quickly give you 10 lies and attitudes that Satan will use to keep us from singing worship. See if you find a common thread through all of this. Number one, worship is about me. The worship leaders must do the right thing. Otherwise, I don't worship and the fault is theirs, not mine. Number two, I should get something out of worship. If I leave church services and and, and I'm unable to say that I was entertained by the worship portion of the service, someone has failed me. Number three, worship is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Unfortunately, millions of Christians are buying into this lie. All you have to do is look at how many people choose to skip church altogether. Number four, only exciting emotional worship matters. If it's not loud, fast, and intense, it doesn't mean anything to me. People tend to put down the more traditional, restrained, or formal type of worship. On the other hand, there are those who believe that only the old classics are true worship. Makes me wonder if it ever occurs to us that the Father in Heaven alone judges our worship. The quality of my worship does not matter. The book of Malachi shows the folly of this attitude. People were bringing diseased animals to the temple as their offerings. Heavenly Father is no fool. He knows an insult when he's given one. The quality of our worship offering and the sincerity of our worship does matter. Number six, the architecture of the church must be conducive to worship. Where you worship does not matter to God. There are people in other countries who say that the best place to have a church service is under the closest mango tree. Number seven, everyone else worships better than me. We maybe begin to wonder, am I the only one who gets bored or has trouble concentrating and whose mind wanders during services? Again, the Father in heaven alone judges our worship. My feeble attempts are an insult to the Lord. You may think it's better to stay away from church than to offend the Lord by my feeble attempt at worship. Please believe me. The Lord doesn't care if you sing off-key. To him, your sincere worship is a pleasing sound to his ears. Number nine, we pay the preachers to worship for us. 
You may think, my job is to come to church and to watch them perform and then critique them. If I give them a passing grade, I have done my job. But your preacher can't worship for you. Worship is a personal thing between you and God. Lastly, worship is a passive activity. You may feel like when our worship leaders do their jobs well, we worship. Worship is something that happens to us, not something that we do. Whenever I feel anything, it's not important. What counts is if I can check off one more week of worship in church. What a sad attitude to have about worshiping our Creator and our Savior. But we have a chance to choose the spirit with which we worship. And being aware of our own attitude offers us the gift of true worship. Now, you probably noticed a lot of me's, my's, and I's in those attitudes. Who's worship about? Our Savior, not us. Whether you prefer hymns or videos, make sure your heart is in the right place. We should not worship simply out of tradition or obligation. Instead, we should worship our Savior because we love the Lord and are rejoicing in his powerful life, death, and resurrection. It is extremely important that we take time to reflect on, to celebrate, and worship the Lord. Our hope is secure in Christ because he is God, and he is completely able to save those who place faith in him and his powerful work on the cross. You've been listening to Jennifer Urban at Hayes Christian Church. Hayes Christian Church is a non-denominational fellowship in Hayes, Kansas. We are supported by the generosity of our members, attenders, and friends. The financial support we raise goes to projects which further spread the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus, those local, national, international missions, and they help to keep those podcasts free. If you'd like to share a monetary gift with us, please visit our webpage at hayeschristianchurch.org and click on the Donate button, or you may mail your gift to P.O. Box 1111, Hayes, Kansas, 67601. If you have questions, comments, or would like more information, we would love to hear from you. Simply go to our webpage and click on the Contact Us form. Thank you for your generosity, and may God bless you as you seek to follow Him.